So when we started Black Tomato, we actually didn't even list destinations on our site. All we listed were categories of emotional needs. And we still have that feature on our site. And the emotional fulfillment we provide in travel is still what is still our morning, noon and night, if I'm honest, as a company. Hello and welcome to Blue Sky Thinking a mind-expanding podcast from Globe Trender that explores the bold ideas that are pushing our boundaries and broadening our horizons. I am your host, travel journalist and entrepreneur, Jenny Southern, and every episode I will be going on a conversational journey with the innovators and visionaries who are shaping the future of travel. My guest today is Tom Marchant, co-founder of Black Tomato, a luxury travel company that excels in designing bespoke trips and trailblazing itineraries that are unequaled in terms of their originality and imagination. Before we start this chat, I just want to say that this week's episode of Blue Sky Thinking is sponsored by Kayak. Kayak is a travel search engine that allows you to compare prices for flights, hotels and car hire, meaning you don't have to jump around from one website to another making test bookings like I used to do. There are a lot of great features on Kayak for frequent travellers like you and I, so I just want to take a few moments to tell you about some of my favourites. If you're looking at a variety of flights to a certain destination and you'll know roughly when you'll travel but it's not locked in, there's an option to compare multiple departure and return dates. This will show you if it's cheaper or maybe more convenient to fly a day or two earlier or a couple of days later. You can also filter your flight search. For me, that's usually direct flights only, if I can. I like to avoid too much of an early start or a very late arrival, so I adjust the takeoff and landing time. I've been researching a family holiday to Crete recently and these features have been really useful because my daughter is young and we don't like to fly at awkward times of the day, but we also need to keep costs down. Finally, once you have the options in front of you, you can compare flight prices from numerous online travel agents as well as the airlines themselves. So for your next trip, start your search on Kayak. From Get Lost, the ultimate form of mystery travel, to Blink, which sees zero footprint camps built in some of the most remote parts of the world, Tom and his team have become adept at using travel to radically change people's perspective on the world. In so doing, the company attracts both highly discerning clientele and obsessive interest from the travel press, who quickly latch on to trend-setting concepts such as set-jetting and storification. Black Tomato has been pivotal in redefining what luxury travel looks like in the 21st century. Whereas competitors have been more focused on Michelin star dinners and the latest buzzy hotels, Black Tomato immediately recognised that crafting enviable experiences would not only enrich their clients' lives, but give them a new sense of status in a materialistic world. Because when you're sitting around a dinner table, it's much more interesting to hear about kayaking down the Congo than the new car or handbag you have just bought. Welcome to Blue Sky Thinking, Tom. Thanks very much, Jenny. I'm just uh, still recovering from that wonderful intro. Thank you very much. It's very flattering and uh, I'm really humbled to hear that. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So before we get into your big ideas, let's go back in time. Tell me about some of your most formative travel experiences. Well, I'm lucky enough to say there have been a few. My mother's from Finland, um, so we would go to Finland in the summers. Um, 
which a lot of people think, well, Finland isn't Finland all about the kind of the snow and, and, and whilst it is, it has these beautiful short but hot summers and we'd go and stay in these little summer houses out on these freshwater lakes. Um, and it was just idyllic. And, and I, I just remember kind of the freshness and this really kind of paired back existence, which is lovely. And then alongside that, it was trips to friends, you know, places down in Devon and, and tearing about on farms and stuff. But really, it was a, a very lucky childhood uh, spending my time in, in Finland and uh, parts of the UK. What about in your teenage years? Teenage years, I saw, uh, saw a bit more. Um, again, you know, mentioning where my mother was from, I was lucky that I was born to two curious parents who were keen to, you know, where it allowed, kind of introduce the world to me and my brother. And we'd have some great adventures. And I think my dad also with his work would spend quite a lot of time in America. And so he'd come back from the States with all these kind of fantastical tales of things he'd seen and things he'd done. And I, I was just sort of in awe of that. And I remember we were lucky enough to go on a trip in my early teens to San Francisco, I think. And I remember just being stood mesmerized by the Golden Gate Bridge and then marveling at these steep streets and having, and even though it's sort of a first world country, it just being blown away by this very different place and that stuff. And I think it was on trips like that, that it kind of started planting this fascination about travel and, and how different the world was. And then, and then we did what a lot of British families did, you know, who were lucky to do it. We'd, we'd drive down to the South of France. We'd put everything in a car and we'd take a, a ferry trip from, often from Portsmouth down to San Marlo. And then we'd, we'd shoot down the West Coast, the La Rochelle, the Sable Delon, down into the Vendée. And, and those are really just brilliant trips. You know, often go camping down there. And it was, you know, great beaches, windswept um, landscapes, great food, you know, late evening. It was just, it was wonderful. And I remember always, <laughs> it sounds strange to do it now, but whenever we take the ferry, the first thing I want to do when we got off the ferry in the car was get out of the car and touch the ground which is probably some terribly tarmac, dirty car park in a ferry terminal. But this feeling of we're, we're somewhere else, we're on a different um, land, it still, still feels really quite special to me now. So yeah, trips to France, lucky to go to places like America, but all, all kind of went into this melting pot of travel influence. You met one of your Black Tomato co-founders, James Merritt, at Newcastle University, where you were studying geography. What did your friendship look like? But to be honest, it looked like a, a shared love of things. Yeah, we played a lot of sport together. Yeah, we, we both played rugby. We, you know, studied, yeah, I'd say hard, but yeah, not that hard. But we, we just, and we, we generally both had a very kind of shared outlook on the world. We're both very curious guys. And James had just come back for some travels before uni and he'd done some really like, crazy stuff. I remember he drove, I think from like Mexico all the way up the North coast of America into Canada, getting up to Alaska, I think. And we just kind of connected over this love of travel, you know, love of sports and just, just got on. And, and both of our fathers, we, we soon realized we're entrepreneurs as well. And so there was just, I think in our kind of growing up, there were similar thoughts kind of percolating in our heads about what we, what we thought about life and the world and and it was that connection that then kind of inspired us to go off and do traveling when we were at uni so like the first summer at college we we went off to the philippines for about two and a half three months which which at the time was quite strange a lot of people when they were traveling they'd be doing thailand or australia and, and we just thought let's let's look for somewhere different and because it just seemed quite mysterious and and not what everyone else was doing but equally all the reading we'd done had read up all these 
potentially magical experience we're going to have, which we then went on to have. So yeah, things like that then were really significant in shaping who we were and what we then decided to do in the long run, which became Black Tomato. You subsequently met your other co-founder, Matt Smith, in Australia. Tell us about this trip. Um, What bonded you? How did the idea of starting a business come about? Well, that, we met Matt. Well, James and I had been traveling again. This was after university. We'd been traveling through South America, um, you know, had great times in Brazil, Argentina, and, and other places. And we, we then went down to New Zealand and, and we we're finishing going to Australia because we were both big sports fanatics. Um, and we, there, was a, there was a rugby tour for the, the British and Irish rugby lions happening in Australia at the time. And it was, it's always been like a dream of us going to follow something like this. It happens every four years in, um, in one of the places they go to. So we, we sort of finished sort of our, our backpacking and, and, and just sort of going off grid for a while and then got to Australia um, and started following this. And it was, it was great. You know, it was a real kind of sense of camaraderie. You meet all these other people we didn't know, but you'd be traveling around, you know, all parts of Australia, watching great sport, but then also taking off to have these brilliant experiences in this, you know, this vast and quite inspiring country. And it was on, it was in a place called Townsville, um, up in uh, Queensland, uh, an island off it called Magnetic Island that we met Matt, um, who was on a similar journey. He, he'd been working in the States after uni, um, I think be coaching at soccer camps, but then also loved the idea of going and watching this, this great iconic rugby tour. And, and then we, yeah, we met him, I think in a bar, cliche, but we did. Um, and then we just, and again, it's, it's interesting because myself and James and Matt, we actually all come from, I'm not sure how people, talk, but I'm from Birmingham. Matt's from just outside Birmingham, Starbridge. We worked out, we probably been playing sport against each other every Sunday for most of our kind of early years and just not really, you know, for different teams. James is from Gloucester, which I think people would still say it's Midlands-ish, but more Southwest. He'd say Southwest, I'd probably say Midlands. But the point was, we all, but we'd also worked out that we'd all actually been playing sport against each other for different schools and, and clubs. And so there was this familiarity, if you like. Um, and then, yeah, Matt just was ultimately sort of cut from a similar cloth in terms of how he felt about the world, um, that he was curious about starting a business, um, eager to get on. Um, we like the idea of working for ourselves and also ultimately working on something that we we're really going to be passionate about. And obviously top of that tree was, uh, was travel. So yeah, it was, it was again, meeting a like-minded person in a place, which was quite an inspiring place to hang out, doing fun things together. And probably also deep down saying, I kind of don't want this to stop. Uh, how can we, how can we turn that into a, into something we can work on full time down the line? It seems amazingly serendipitous that you met Matt on, you know, in a place on the other side of the world when he was actually. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the beauties of travel, isn't it? You know, and it's, it is, you know, they all look to a small world, but it really is sometimes. And I'm just so grateful for it, um, that, that, that happened. And I still have that to this day. It's annoying because I I was about to say, I can't remember where it was, but recently again, met, met, I think it was in Marrakesh, just met someone who, who knew someone, knew someone. And the odds of meeting that person, but it was someone who I'd grown up with, you know, you'd never think it. And then suddenly you know, they're there. And I love that. And you kind of get thrown together in interesting places. And often that, that uh, you know, it confirms a kind of a love of you know, shared passion, which is for me what life's all about. Yeah. And those, those chance encounters can often, especially in hindsight, be really meaningful, can't they? And sometimes you've just got to like take a moment to think, oh, wow, why have why have I bumped into you? I, I, I am a believer in that. I do. I'm a believer in fate and and things happening. And I think that that does kind of inform how I, I look at life, actually. And and 
yeah, I, I just think everything's formative, good and bad. Tell us a bit more about your parents. How did your upbringing help you on your journey to becoming an entrepreneur? I think, yeah, I touched upon it a little bit earlier. My, yeah, my, well, well, first, my mum was from Finland. She, she trained as a nurse there. Um, and she grew up in a city called Turku, which is the second city of Finland. It's on the southwest corner of Finland. It's, a, it's at the start of the archipelago that goes across to Stockholm. Um, and I think she had this wanderlust from, her, from a young age too. She then spent time after Finland working in Sweden. She was then working in Paris and then ended up uh, as a nurse and then decided to go to the UK. And that's where she met my father. And my father was um, yeah, a businessman, but I think had that entrepreneurial bug. He, he wanted to start something for himself. And so from a very young age, he was working on building a business. He was in the um, telecoms and software world. Um, he, he, you know, he'd left, he left university and started at a big organization, saw an opportunity to do something on himself. And he, he loved to travel as well. His, his, his side of the family, they, they lived all over the world as well. And so I think I was very lucky. Yeah, I I'm, I'm really am very uh, appreciative and sort of cognizant of that fact that I had a curious mum and, and a, a dad who liked to travel. And I think being around him and seeing, if you like, the entrepreneurial journey he was on was was really interesting. And you'd, you'd see the highs, the lows, and, and all of it. But it definitely, I think, you know, first, uh, first subconsciously, I kind of planted in me a seed of, I'd like to do something uh, for myself one day. Um, but also just, I learned a lot from it. It wasn't just about, um, I want to do something for myself. You, you, you know, I'd ask a lot of questions. And to be fair, you know, my parents encouraged me and my brother to ask lots of questions to just keep learning. So it was, it was great, um, to, to be around and they were very supportive. They've always been very supportive. Um, you know, they wanted to, you know, to kind of work hard and get an education and, and work things out. But, um, I think they also recognize the influence they had on me you know, and my brother as well, that, um, we may not take sort of the most obvious path as, as we got older, um, just because we've been lucky enough to be sort of exposed to lots of different perhaps ways of looking at, at life. You founded Black Tomato in 2005, just a few years after graduating. During this transitory period, you worked for Ernst & Young. How did you get Black Tomato off the ground? So if, if you go back to Australia, um, that's where the, the seed of the idea was, was planted. And then, but we'd all agreed that when we came back to the UK, we, we, we needed to get some experience. And, and what I mean by experience here is not specifically in travel. It was because we didn't really know what the business was going to be. It, we just, we thought, well, we need to get some you know, transferable skills or some skills just working in the world of business or commerce or just you know, learning from others or working as a team, just things that would probably help us in whatever we chose to do. So we all came back and we'd applied for graduate roles when before we went off on our travels to Australia. So yeah, I came back to Ernst & Young and I was working in their business risk uh, consulting arm. Um, James uh, qualified at Deloitte and Matt was working at 3M. And it's all very big, you know, corporates, but we always knew even when we were there that what the long-term plan was, was Black Tomato. So we would meet regularly, um, weekends, yeah, Thursday evenings, and we'd sit down and we'd just talk about ideas we have. So we had this plan about each, every time we'd meet up, we'd, we'd come along with ideas. Often, you know, it didn't have to be kind of 
centered around travel, but it, it tended to skew that way. And, and the idea was like, let's, let's talk about ideas that we think we could build a business around. And so we're looking at travel, we're looking at sport. Um, and what we did was we said, well, actually, we, we knew what was going to become Black Tomato in terms of we had the idea, but we thought, well, actually, what's a way we can kind of put our toe in the water and start trying to run a business um, whilst we still had our jobs and see if actually we could do it or, or had the appetite to keep going, if you like. And we were all sports obsessors, as I've already talked about. And so we decided to run these, these touch rugby leagues and these court indoor cricket leagues whilst we were still in our jobs. So we do them on the weekends. Uh, we do them after work, some evenings. Um, we did them for a lot of corporates. And, and what that did was it, it kind of allowed us to kind of have this experience of getting a business going and, and, and seeing how it went. I mean, it also told us that we definitely didn't want to run sports leagues <laughs> as a company going forward. But it also allowed us to kind of connect to a load of people who were passionate about sport and travel. And as part of these sports leagues, we also took people off to watch sports events. We took them off to watch cricket or Grand Prix and stuff. So we started gathering data and learning about these people. And, and we'd say to them, like, you know, when it comes to travel, how do you like to travel? We, we've got this feeling that it's, it's, it's this word experience, which back then was not really talked about, is, is what it's all about as opposed to the destination. So it became this slightly, not planned, but almost sort of like quite big, like, focus group of talking to the people who are using us to play sport. And it was on the back of that, that when we then said, right, we're ready to launch Black Tomato, we had a, a bit of a database of people who we said that this is what we're doing now. Um, do you want to try us out? Um, did, that didn't necessarily equate to people saying, yeah, because they, someone was saying, weren't you the guys running those, those touch rugby leagues in Clapham Common? Um, but it did, it allowed us to kind of there's that expression about riding two horses and, 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 you know, making sure it's going before you get off the other one. And I think that gave us some confidence. I mean, the, the reality is, and I've said this a number of times publicly, you know, we didn't have any big investment to launch the business with. It was just our own savings and the founders. We had a, a period of time that we knew we kind of, over which we had to make the business work from a kind of cash flow generation and profit basis. Otherwise, yeah, we wouldn't be able to sustain it. So that kind of really focused us, but also that was one of the reasons why we did the jobs we did at Ernst and Young and Deloitte and 3M because we knew that yeah there was a very good chance yeah that the business wouldn't work not because we didn't believe in it or because we didn't think the idea was going to passion but because sometimes life's just not fair and lots of great startups don't necessarily always survive so we were realistic about that um, and so said well we'll give ourselves this amount of time which is basically the amount of savings we had to kind of sort of pay ourselves and also build a website and get the business up and running, but knew that yeah, if we didn't get it right or we didn't start getting traction, ultimately it, it might not continue, but perhaps you could fall back on some of the experience we'd, we'd gathered in the previous roles we'd had. And what was that that period of time that you sort of gave yourselves? It was about nine months, Okay, probably less, yeah. We didn't have a war chest. We didn't have a big investor. We didn't have a, a big loan from anyone. It was, yeah, we, we, we had to make it work. That certainly focused us. I mean, we were very focused anyway, but knowing that, that yeah, that it might not sort of exist after that was definitely um, both a sobering, but also I'd say very motivating part, and, and I'm sure actually contributed us to us to the success of the company at the start because we were so determined to make it work and knew that we didn't have an uh, you know an infinite amount of time to play with. And when did you quit your full time jobs? Um, about about two months before, about a month before the Black Tomato website went live. So we'd been doing the sports leagues. We'd, we'd been working weekends. We'd work every hour we had outside of you know our day jobs. 
Um, and then it was like, right, we've got the final push. Uh, and so then it was, yeah, then, then it was, I remember the last, the last 72 hours before the website went live. I mean, we, we, did, we did lots of all-nighters in those days because that's just what we did. Um, but I remember there was this sort of 72-hour stint where we were just in the office, just writing copy for the website. And by sort of the last morning, we all kind of sleep at our desks. Um, and, and then that afternoon, we kind of put the website live. And, and, then, and, and then with associated kind of Marcoms. But I think there was quite anticlimactic, if I'm honest, because you kind of put it live and thought, well, we're going to be inundated. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're not going to be able to sleep for another week because we're going to be dealing with so much incoming uh, traffic and and inquiries. And yeah, obviously that's not the case. And then you, it's sort of it's one thing to get it live and have the proposition out there. It's the next thing is like to make sure people know about it and get excited about it and bring them in. And and then you get into the delivery of it. So it was it was the first step. But I actually look back on those days really fondly. And I, I, I it just felt this. I'm sure like every kind of entrepreneur and startup phase, and even not start at phase because I still feel like it now is like that kind of back to the wall, um, point approved, you know, every, every small success felt like you'd won the world cup. Yeah. It was just it, 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 the adrenaline rush from it was, was something else. I, I, I loved it. I mean, it was incredibly stressful, but it was, it was, you look back at it fondly for sure. Especially doing it with uh, two friends as well, rather than on your own, which must be very, very tough. As soon as I kind of realized I wanted to do something for myself, my view was if I'm going to do it, I'd like to find a partner, do it with partner or partners. I applaud them in awe of people who do it on their own. And I don't know whether I could or couldn't, but I just wanted to kind of find or work with someone or people that you're kind of in it together, you're on the ride together. Because um, that, I think for me, has always added an, an, an extra level of enjoyment. Don't get me wrong, it's you know it's also provided its challenges, you know, working with with partners who are also friends, um, first and foremost, for, you know, over 16, 17 years now definitely brings us ups and downs. And I think some people said, you know, why did you why, why did all three of you choose to work together? And I think yes, it was because you're friends, but I think also deep down, without even necessarily realizing it, I think we all recognize that we all kind of had different strengths and and it and it worked. Um but I don't know whether that, that yeah, it wasn't some big strategic plan like, oh, oh yes, yeah, James and I've met. Yes, we're good friends. And isn't it great that we kind of fit in this way? It was, let's just give it a go. Yeah, and same with Matt. And it just, it, it, it worked. So choosing a brand name is an important first step for any new business. Why did you decide on Black Tomato? When we started the company, we, we started it on a, on a shoestring. Um, and so it wasn't that we could take a big budget and plow it into advertising and, and build a build a name for whatever brand we had um, because, yeah, we didn't have it. So, so for us, first, it was like if we, if the brand name was something that we wanted to kind of stand out uh, and cut through. Um, and there's always that decision when you're talking, looking at brand names, like do you have something that kind of, without having to know the backstory, describes what you do or, or, or not? And we went with the not because, you know, Black Tomato, no one really knows what that is when they first hear it out of context but people remember it and our view was well if they remember it that's that's a start and then we can pull them in and start telling them about us and black tomato come relates back to you know travels we taken in eastern europe where we just three of us and we found a black tomato on a menu in a restaurant and he asked a waiter what it was and he had a very impassioned speech about this black tomato being a, it being a rare form of tomato but when you find it it gives you this incredible tasting experience and that just it always stuck in our heads and 
we we decided that we we wanted to aspire to be the black tomato of travel. So when you find it, what we give you is this rare quality tasting experience. And yeah, and I, 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 there's arguments for and against. So we kind of talk about all day. For us, it was about getting cut through. I do think, if, you know, given our our kind of lack of, like I say, the, 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 given the, the given the kind of small capital we had, and also this was in a day. Let's be honest, before social media, really, you know, Facebook was around, but nothing else. So the opportunity to the ability to amplify yourself quickly. I mean, it's hard now, don't get me wrong, because, you know, it's not just today about great content. There's lots of other stuff that goes into the mix. But there was a period where if you had just great content and social media was there, you could amplify quite quickly and you could you could get big relatively quickly without having to put much behind it. In those, back in 16, 17 years ago, it wasn't as easy. So it's, it was about um, standing apart, provoking intrigue. And then once they wanted to, or customers or press wanted to know more, then it was our job to kind of convince them. As a new brand in the luxury travel market, how did you build credibility, trust and awareness? Even today, you know, luxury for some people is you know, about heritage, you know, trust, like you said in that question. And if you're three 26-year-old guys you know, working out of a bedroom um, on a shoestring budget, you know, where's your kind of, we've been doing it forever line? Um, or... We spend all our time in this world, so we know it all. Now, we knew the world because we researched it. We'd even on our travels gone and built partners and contacts, so we knew it. And I think based on the work we'd been doing, we understood the audience. We did. I mean, that was something that just as as kind of three, I think, quite studious, curious guys, we need to understand the audience. But again, it'd be remiss of me if I said, yeah, we had these roller decks, you know, with all these great contacts and all these friends of ours who, who spent all this time in this market. And it was just a question of dropping them an email, say, give us, give us a give us a go. Um, we didn't have that. So we had to build credibility. So for us, we decided, um, yeah, like a lot, like, like, I still think this is true, it, to start establishing yourself in the luxury world, is important. it is important to get editorial endorsement. And, and I know the editorial landscape has changed enormously since we first started, but it's still to this day, I believe in the luxury holds true that when you have the likes of a Condinas Traveller or a How to Spend It or a travel leisure or a Sunday time saying, look, this is black tomato or, or talking about us. It just gives you a stamp of approval that in the eyes of your target audience, like, okay, well, if these guys are writing about them, they, they, yeah, they're worth a look. And I think very early on, we, we knew that was something we had to try and do, but then there was a whole thing about, well, what is PR? Um, yeah, we, none of us came from that background. Um, I think we, but we understood that it was important. I think we also understood, which I think is a strength of Black Tomatoes, that like you have to have the right message and you have to understand what's relevant and you have to, in the same way we thought about the name, it's like, well, if we're going to go out, we have to have stuff that's going to cut through. This is a long story short, but I was trying to find someone who had been working on Dennis Traveller, who I was told about by a friend to help write some copy for us um, because I was doing a lot of the copywriting for, for the site and the newsletter and I didn't have enough time to do all that plus other stuff I was doing. And... Um, they put me in touch with this person and I sent them an email. Turns out they'd left the company. Um, so I got a bounce back, but someone else picked up the email and said, they'd gone, but I'm working their beat at the moment. And you, you sort of, your name's interesting. <laughs> of course it about, and agreed to, you know, to meet me for a coffee. Um, so I met the person for a coffee and a lady called Sophie Campbell, um, who was, uh, who is incredible. And, uh, 
she said, well, okay, I'm, I'm writing, uh, we're doing a future of travel issue for Colin Us Traveller, um, and I'm going to put you guys in a, and this was probably four months into, five months into doing it. And she just liked what we were doing. She liked the outlook. And then it ended up being a, an interview and a full page picture. And then they talked about Black Tomato being some of the people who are going to redefine the way we traveled. And that was just a massive win. So she, she'd seen what we'd done. She spoke to clients of ours, you know, the research, but it was more of a kind of details piece. But that had a significant influence because we then had pull quotes to take from it. We had this endorsement. Um, customers asked, we get the feedback, you know, the phone would ring and be like, yeah, I've just seen you guys in Colonial Travel. I want to know more. So that early on proved to us it was important. And then on the back of that, we started building out PR strategies, working with some phenomenally talented uh, PR people. And I think on the back of that, trust well credibility began established and then it's like getting people traveling with you ultimately you know and that's both press obviously um customers which is what you really have to get going for business to survive so it was a stepped process but i certainly think that without some of those editorial endorsements in the early days it would have been far more challenging uh to establish a the luxury brand than i think we went on to establish yeah and as a travel journalist myself who does receive uh press releases from black tomato i would say you have done an excellent job of uh courting the press and putting great stories out there um so what was the first trip you hosted for a paying customer it was to marrakesh like a long weekend in and around the medina a couple of riads we also did at the same time similarly there's a place in lithuania uh which you don't sell anymore but i've been to called the cronian spit um which is beautiful. If they call it like the, the Sahara of Eastern Europe, it sounds wild, and it is, but we'd, we'd work with a really cute little hotel out there. It was really different. It was a really different experience. I'm saying, well, if you're doing this, you should be going here. Um, and then, yeah, Iceland was sort of on our radar very, very early. Um, yeah. And it's funny, to this day, Morocco and Iceland are still two of our top performing destinations. But yeah, it was, it was, I met, yeah, it was a long weekend in Marrakesh and the, the excitement slash apprehension with which we approached that was um, was palpable for sure, but it was great and it worked. That's good. I was going to ask if anything went wrong. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't. And it, travel just it's such an interesting offering, isn't it? Because there's certain industries where you know you make a product, you give it to someone, and look, look, it's not always going to be perfect, but you kind of know it's like making a smoothie, that certain checks are done, or you're making a maybe a handbag. Travel, you know, it's for a period of time from a long weekend to three weeks you know someone is on your watch and experiencing your products now that was often a combination of experiences in a place maybe stays at hotels or private properties but ultimately it's a black tomato product that they are tasting and that just means yeah for the whole period they're on your watch and you've got to make sure it's right and that's i think that's what we, i know we're very good at that but it's it's certainly a different feeling when someone takes your product it's not like great there's a product sold we move on it's like they bought the product, great. Now it's like, this has to be delivered to an exceptional degree for us to, A, deliver on our promises that we're making, B, drive repeat business, and C, drive referral business from them. What did you learn about money growing up? And what have you discovered since? Um, money is, is sort of hard won by. It's, it's to be earned and, and, and valued growing up. Um, you know, I, yeah, by, by kind of demographic, I definitely had a, a comfortable upbringing in terms of, you know, middle-class family, but I went to, fortunately, a good school. And so my, my dad's family, he, um, he's one of three brothers, 
Um, his mum was a, like a BBC radio actress and his dad was in the West Midlands Fire Service. And then during the Second World War, it kind of things changed. And not long after it, my dad's dad died when he was like 10. And so my his mum, my grandmother, sort of had to stop her job and she became, uh, she became a teacher and raised these three boys on her own, but they really didn't have much. Yeah? And um, so he was the first person to go to university. Um, and he came out of it with a very um, driven and focused um, approach. And so whilst he did well and we were definitely afforded, a, you know, it was, it was comfortable, you know, we were, it was never kind of given. Um, so I think they, my parents instilled in myself and my brother a real appreciation that you needed to, you needed to earn, you know, what you had. And I say everyone probably has, has these things, but money that we got was done on work we'd do at home. You know, like if I wanted to travel, I would have to kind of work. Um, and if I couldn't quite afford the flight, my, my dad might say, well, this is when I was a student, whatever you earn, I'll, I'll match, but you have to be earning this. You say, and, and that's still very lucky for me to have someone sort of matching it. But I learned a lot that it was, you know, you had to find it and you, you had to respect it. At the same time, I also learned that it's not, it doesn't equate to happiness. And I think, I think money can make you, I'd, I'd strongly believe this today. I think money can make you, um, comfortable, but some of the happiest moments of my life growing up were not to do with what we had or where we went. It was to do with the, the level of kind of love and contentment in the family. And now look, you could argue that, well, you can be like that because you have a, a nice setup. I, I'd argue differently. I'd say like the, and that's how I feel today, actually. I, you know, clearly, you know, we have ambitions with the company. I think when we started some of that, you know, it still is some of it's financial, but really for me, it's my, my kind of goal in life is to kind of be happy. And I think with a company, I like, I, I want to work on things that excite me with people that I respect and, and by doing great things, we can make those people happy. I work with them and our customers happy. And, and it also kind of informs how I think about my home life. So it's, um, it hasn't changed. I feel still, you know, you have to go and earn it. it. Nothing should be given to you on a plate. You should really appreciate and respect it. Um, but you shouldn't make it the, you know, the, the be all and end all. And again, it, I'm just worried that sounds trite because it's, it's, it's not easy to get, but I think if you can surround yourself with people that you love and love you back, whoever you are, it doesn't really, it, it shouldn't matter. Yes. You, you need to work to kind of perhaps achieve a degree of comfort that you want, but the happiest moments I have now with my, with my daughters and my wife and when I'm, you know, present with them, I, I'm not having to kind of think about other things. So yeah, I think I just respect it. It is the honest answer. It doesn't, doesn't, define me or drive me um and yeah but i'm also aware that i'm speaking as someone who's sort of is given opportunities um but the fire that burns in me to kind of be ambitious and do as well as we can with black tomato is as strong as it's ever been so yeah, i'm just yeah it's not a kind of i'm content now so i don't care about anything it's actually probably because i'm happy and content it makes me more ambitious if you see what I mean, I, I sort of think having that, if you can kind of get the inner part of you right and, and achieve kind of a level of contentment there, then the other stuff, I believe, not quite as easy, looks after itself, but should become easier to achieve because your base is 
is solid. When did your company first achieve a million pounds in revenue? Uh, 2000 and probably eight, a few years in. And what was your revenue in year one versus 2019 before, before the pandemic? You know, a couple of hundred grand, 150 grand, maybe. Um, 2019, it was under 30 million. Um, and again, we're still, we're still, and not that it matters, but content, we're still self-financed. So we haven't taken on um, any outside investment uh, to this point. Not that to, and, and we're still not looking for that, but I think it's interesting to kind of look at growth with that. But again, it's, you know, we were growing and then the recession hit and we actually still grew through that because we really kind of recentered how we work. And what are you on track to achieve this year? Uh, this year, I think we'll, we'll certainly do north of 50 million turnover. It's amazing. And is it true that the first million is the hardest to win? I think so. Context is everything, isn't it? So, so say you are say you're setting up and you've got a big war chest and it's all established, relatively established, then it might be easy to win a million, to, to, to get a million. Now, is that million profitable is one thing because, you know, you could, that's the expression, yeah, you could sell a million's worth of £10 notes to £9 each. You, you get, yeah, you're going to get a million in revenue, but you're going to lose 100 grand. So it's, 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 it's yeah, what's the right revenue? Uh, but also, yeah, it, for us it was because it goes back to the, the conversation we had then about credibility. Um, yeah, in those early days, you've got to prove yourself. And so, yeah, as the years moved on and you had customers who would repeat or refer or press or awards, you know, you, it becomes a bit, I mean, other challenges arise as you get bigger, but, but some of the stuff about winning those, you know, those sales become a little bit easier because you're you better known that there's, a, that there's more awareness of you and there's things to, to validate that you're not having to scrap around to do as hard yourself so yeah i, I definitely say that from yeah that the, the first million is is the hardest yeah so black tomato is a company based on selling experiences this is something you've already talked a little bit about so you target you know busy professionals for whom time is precious tell us about this innovative approach to luxury travel so the when we started, the word experience just wasn't nearly as ubiquitous as it is today. I think um, I think we've been cited in things like the Mintel reports and things like it's sort of one of the kind of forefathers of this sort of experience travel because because no one really talked about experiences back in two thousand five. I mean, it was a little bit, but not really. Most people, most companies, yeah, you know, they'd advertise travel according to destinations. You'd have these long lists of destinations on websites or in brochures. Um and great descriptions of these places. But what we realized before we even started the business that none of these places, sites, brochures, stores, really told you how you're gonna feel when you were there. And what we realized you know, out of our own experiences, we were traveling you know, when, whether James and I were in the Philippines or when we were in Brazil or Argentina or any of our journeys around the world, um, and Matt as well, that we were looking for feelings, experiences that make us feel. So it might, might make us feel alive. It might to relax. It might to be challenged, to have achieved, to have been inspired, to have played and had fun. Um, and we thought, why isn't the world being spoken about or positioned in this way? 
So when we started Black Tomato, we actually didn't even list destinations on our site. All we listed were categories of emotional needs. Now, from a practical UX perspective, you wouldn't really do that, but we still, but no one knew about us and it was a way to introduce ourselves, but, but we still have that feature on our site. And, and the emotional fulfillment we provide in travel is still what, you know, it's still our morning, noon and night, if I'm honest, as a company. But uh, in those days, yeah, it was, it was different. And, but what, what it did was it started, it just started speaking to people, the people that we wanted to travel with us and saying, ha, okay, here's a company for people like me. Cause that's how I feel when I start planning my travel, but I find it quite hard to find where to go or someone who's, who's speaking my language. So that approach to what am I looking for and how, how's it going to make me feel was what drove the company. And, and again, for this market of cash rich, time poor people, people who don't have much time to plan, but want to get it right. And, and so we wanted to be, and I believe still are that, that best friend, that well-traveled friend in a place who knows it like the back of their hand or knows the new adventure you need to have and you can trust. And we can say, look, you, you talk to us, we're, we're going to want to understand you. We'll turn that into these experiences. Don't you worry about the hassle and the logistics and whether you're in the right place or not. That's us. You just need to focus on enjoying it and making sure that every spare second you have away from the day-to-day and the rat race or the stresses of daily life is is spent beautifully. You know, our purpose as a company is is inspiring people through remarkable travel experiences. That's why we exist. Um, and, and that's what kind of drives our output in terms of experiences we create, how we think about crafting experiences, the new product lines we launch, how we market ourselves. And we have three values at Black Tomato. So those are uh, being thoughtful, being humble, and being curious. And it's, you know, and, and we could have loads of values, but we decided not to actually want to keep really simple. And, and those three values are so important to us and they drive, they're the behaviors that allow us to deliver on that purpose as a company. And everyone who works at Black Tomato is, is not only aware of them, they, they believe in them. You know, I, I say, I believe, but I do believe it, that we've got a passionate group of people at the company and we recruit against these values, but they inform not just the people, they inform how we look at product development, we look at how we you know, we're going to market ourselves. Many bespoke travel companies, I think, feel quite opaque often to some, someone who lands on their website. You know, they say they can do anything, but you have no real sense of their actual capabilities. What have you done differently to inspire people to book with you when they arrive on your website? It's a good point. It's an interesting point. Um, but yeah, you do see a number of sites that launch and kind of promise the world, but without really telling you how they can do it. Now, maybe it's a cynic in me um, that you wonder, yeah, like you say, it's, is it opaque because they either can't or they haven't quite figured it out yet? Um, or, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to show everything because that's kind of otherwise you'll do it yourself. I think for us, it's always been, you've got to be confident in what you do. You've got to understand what your value proposition is. And if it's all smoke and mirrors, all kind of behind these layers, there's a risk that I think now, certainly more so than ever, that you know the, the consumer who's busy, um, he, he doesn't have necessarily time to kind of have the back and forth and work out how it works. And you know, are you legitimate? Are you not? They, they, they want to know that they, they want to know what they're dealing with. They want to know how it works. And I think for, for us, we've always wanted to be that we're high end. There's no doubt about that. But we wanted to be approachable, high end. Black tomorrow, so we've always been. A pretty open book. Yeah, now look, there's, there's certain things we do in terms of our how we create our experiences, how we 
bringing surprise and delight, how we think about customer service that and, and, and what we do with that, that some of that will remain behind closed doors because I think that's kind of the magic dust that makes Black Tomato uh, what it is. But I think, yeah, I think we, we just, we want to talk to people. We want to hear from people. You know, we've always said, look, look yeah, this is who we are. Please get in touch. You know, I think it's also clear on the site and our comms, who we are and kind of the type of travel we do and, and, and you know, also the, the price range of that will come as. But I just think you need to be very brave today if you're going to or, or, or really, really, really focus on as a tiny niche that you know you can tap up easily, which isn't easy, to, to kind of have the opaque, like we can do everything, but I'm not going to show you what that is or tell you. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to name names because I haven't seen any of it recently, but years ago, I'd say probably maybe 10 years ago, there was a real glut of like these new concierges are opening and everyone was just sort of saying the same thing. It was like, yeah, this kind of private access only that you can't, yeah, but yeah, you got to pay me loads to, to, to do something that someone else would do for free. And I think it kind of damaged the travel industry a little bit at the time because people became a bit cynical about all these companies saying we can do everything for you and, and actually then having very underwhelming experiences. Yeah, for us, it's, we want to be approachable. Um, look, that's part of our values. We're humble. You know, we, we, there's no ego at, at Black Tomato. I really don't think there is. Um, and, and if there's a fit in terms of how you feel about the world and feel about traveling and how you, what you want to get and, and we think we can help you, um, then, then we love working with people. Now, you don't sell packages, um, but you do have some really interesting trip concepts on the site mm. that I think are very inspiring and do certainly draw people in. Um, concepts like Bring It Back or Drone the World. Um, what, what has been one of your most popular trip formats or trip concepts that you've uh, designed? Take Me On A Story um, uh, was, has been terrifically received and, uh, and experienced. So, so Take Me On A Story ultimately was a, a, view, a view we took about how we could take classic children's literature and turn it into you know, immersive travel experiences. And that, that kind of emanated from a, a view we've long had about the role and the influence of literature and, and, it's, and how it inspires travel. And, and often literature, that's not about a place, but it's a story that's set in a place that pulls you into the place. And you know, I remember years back reading, what was uh, Oh, yeah, it was Shantaram when that came out. And I remember reading Shantaram when I was traveling in Panama, but wanting to be in India because I was reading Shantaram. It was really, but that was the power of that book. You know, it just sort of, it took me there. And, and I think the take me on a story, we had this thought, well, look, you know, there's, there's these great stories that bring families together. Um, are told at bedtimes, are told over generations, and are there ways that we could take this into the real world? And then as we were thinking about that, COVID arrived, and so we had the idea, and then COVID arrived, and we said, well, actually, perhaps more than ever, there is an opportunity to kind of develop this. Um, and yes, we might not be able to kind of take people on it as COVID's here, but in time we will. And and also, the reason we thought that was because we knew that there was so much storytelling going on at home, you know, like when kids were being taught at home or schooled at home or bedtimes of these stories. And they were taking on a much greater um, resonance, if you like, in terms of what they were meant for the family, because they'd all be reading this and they'd be wanting to escape and dreaming of escapes, perhaps not being able to. So when we launched Take Me On A Story, it really, I think, connected with those feelings people have been having and this longing to, to, to travel and, and perhaps do something that would bond the family together. And so, yeah, we launched that uh, as, I think, in a window of COVID and then got lots of kind of forward bookings. And that's, that's that was a I love working on that. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy all the kind of what we call like these marquee product lines we do because it it keeps us on our toes and 
it keeps asking questions of people about how they travel, how they think about travel. And whilst not everyone necessarily take that thing, it also makes them think about Black Tomatoes' approach to travel. And it's a really important part of our, of our DNA. Now, you are a parent yourself. What has being a parent taught you about business? Uh, a, a lot, a lot. I think if I think about me prior to being a parent and now, uh, I'm quite different. Not necessarily in a good or a bad way, but just different. I think the first thing is, and this is probably the most cliched one, is but it's about perspective. Until my children arrived, my child was black tomato, if you like, you know, and and I still care about it, but it's just perspective on what's sort of important. And and I, I care deeply about the business, but then with, with I have two daughters, um, yeah, it's sort of like, you sort of work at what really matters and what things, things that sometimes in the past would stress me enormously about work, you then kind of take a step back and go, actually, that's not worth stressing about. And so it makes you feel fortunate to have that. And it, it probably creates some distance for me in the, in the business, which I think is a good thing. I think very easy as an entrepreneur to get so in your business and not be able to look down on it. So I think having children um, gives you perspective about perhaps like that there are more important things in the world necessarily. And that's not to say that I wasn't and remained obsessed with Black Tomato. I do, but I think it's just gives me some perspective on, on, on what's important. I think the other thing is it, it makes you realize that it's just not about you anymore. And I think that's a good thing for business as well. My motivation in life now is my full focus is to make sure I can be the best dad and husband and, and just provide for my girls and give them the best opportunities they can have. And, and I hope that can be facilitated by working hard on Black Tomato. But you realize that it's, it's about them. And in the same way, what I learned from that for business, actually, is like, it's not about Black Tomato, not about me and, and James and Matt. It's actually about these brilliant people we get to work with and, and hopefully helping them feel satisfied in, in their day-to-day -day jobs. Enjoy. And it's about our customers giving them, and this sounds terribly cheesy I'm saying it, but it's really true. Going, actually, it's about everyone else. It, you know, enjoying themselves, being in a company they like working at, somewhere they're hopefully inspired by, and, and our customers feeling the same when they engage with these people. So it just, I think it just removes the ego from everything. I, I don't think we've ever been particularly egotistical people. We again get back to our values we are humble and we are thoughtful we we're not chess beaters at all but this but being a, having a family just makes you look at business in a different way and say actually it's it's not about you and if you are in a business where it's all about you and it's just then i think that's okay and it's each their own but i think it's dangerous because i think you, you can possibly end up losing sight of other more important things I love what you were saying about how you've designed these trips based on classic children's books, but you've also uh, used cinema as a jumping off point for trip concepts. Tell us about the new James Bond inspired itineraries you've created recently. Yes. So that was, that's been a real honor uh, for Black Tomato to work on. Um, Eon Productions, who's the, the production company that um, owns James Bond uh, movie franchise and the, the custodians of, of James Bond in the cinematic world um, approached us last, I think February ish, 2022. Um, and they said that they had, it was the 60th anniversary last year in, in October, 2022 of the, of when Dr. No first came out and film. And there were a lot of celebrations being undertaken to mark that 60th anniversary. 
And they said to us that they, for years, they'd been looking at travel with, with what I mean, it's an, obvi- an obvious connection, as we all know. You know. Every time a Bond movie comes out, you know, the press understandably is full of like, well, this is where you can go, or this is where they filmed it, or this is how you can do it. And, and they just said they wanted to do it like officially and in, in a collaborative way for the first time. And they'd done their due diligence on, on us, but also kind of the travel industry as a whole. And, and uh, flatteringly, Black Tomato kind of emerged as the company they wanted to talk to about it. So yeah, we then, um, yeah, just went into a series of, into a whole kind of project development plan of how would we bring 007 to life in through travel experiences? Um, how would we pitch it? How do we want people to feel? Um, you know, when you've got a, a film franchise that has shot probably in most parts of the world, um, how do you narrow down where to start it and which, which destinations to go to? So, so that was a, a long process, but a very, very uh, inspiring and productive and fascinating process where we, we, we then landed upon kind of this journey that clients will take through Europe, starting in London, going by Paris, um, some time in Chantilly, then down to Monaco and to Venice and, and um, Lake Como. So it, yeah, that's been really good and, and really, we've, we've always believed uh, strongly, I think we touched upon some of the literature already, in the power of culture outside of travel or just you know, art and, and history and just culture to, to, to influence travel. It's always been a, a massive thing for us, even to the point where I think everyone, even subconsciously, they don't want, is traveling because of their other passions. And I think there's this, this opportunity to kind of connect more strongly and more coherently and more obviously passion points to travel and, and, and start creating things where you're taking the best or the insight from both worlds and, and creating experience for someone is both really fun to do, but uh, really, um, it's really interesting. I think there's this huge scope in that area and that world uh, for the future. Definitely. Paint us a bit more of a picture of what people will actually achieve on one of these James Bond sort of missions. They are they delivered a, a briefcase in advance, yeah, right? With so, the... Yes. So we did, um, we did a collaboration with Globetrotter, um, which is sort of Bond's official luggage supplier and when you buy one of these trips you get a, a bespoke you know trotter attache case in the on the black tomato colors delivered to you and in there's your briefing documents and 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 with the with the trips you can it's bespoke so you, there's, a, there's a kind of a headline trip where you can do a 12-day trip called the assignment where you it's curated and every every day you go from london across europe and you finish with a grand finale in in venice um and that one is, yeah, where, so in London, you will, you'll have experiences such as you'll meet um, Daniel Craig's stunt double and stunt man. He'll teach you for a day how to stunt and, and actually train you. You'll then go up to Aston Martin's factory another day and get behind the scenes and do driving experience at Millbrook. Uh, you'll, be, you'll get on the Thames on the boat used at the start of The World Is Not Enough. Um, and you'll also get to meet some of the, some of the amazing people from the Bond world. So we have access to the likes of Chris Corbold, who is the special effects supervisor. He has been the special effects supervisor for the last 15 Bond films. Um, an absolutely phenomenal guy, fascinating. We, we work with Meg Simmons, who's the archivist for Bond, so, and we work location manager. So we're bringing, it's not just great experiences in terms of the physical stuff you're doing, but we're, we're taking you into this world of people who you couldn't ever access to anything else. And you're learning and we work with the props company as well. So people get to kind of, you know, see some of the props using the films. And, and then there's stuff down in, in you know, Lake Como where we're taking seaplanes that land onto the lake and then you water ski off there. And it, it's, it's a really 
elegant approach as, as well. Because I think the thing with Bond is you could definitely go too extreme, not too extreme, just all about the action. I think for us, you wanted to kind of create a, a full, um, a full, a full experience. So, so touching upon not just the kind of the action, but the sartorial side. So when people are in London, they're visiting a lot of um, Bond's favourite retailers and having kind of bespoke experiences there um the food and drink side we're working with the the, the cocktail maker who's been the the lead advisor the last bond film is about the right cocktails to make and he's created this special cocktail for this thing so the special martini so there's it's a real um it's a genuine immersion into this world and not um i don't i've never really gone for these this idea of what i call stop and stare travel when people talk about films or anything which is just go there staring at oh that's where they did that move on i think if you're gonna if you're going to work on something that's around a film or a, a storytelling platform or vehicle, if you like, you need to you need to take people into it properly, my view. And and look, there's some people who are doing it on a totally different scale. I'm not per se in travel, but if you look at what you know, Secret Cinema did, or or actually, if you look at what Punch Drunk have been doing for years, you know, and a lot of theirs is our original plays, and these are just theatre performances. But I love it when you're taking people into worlds and i think bond is a touch of that but on a travel basis and how much does it cost to sign up for the assignment the entry level for, for any of the bond trip is fifteen thousand pounds for five days um between two cities and then the assignment the 12 day one is it can go as much much higher because you can add in lots of extra touches and if you want to bring some of these people in different costs come so it's a it's a range but we also wanted to make it accessible I'm not, like, I'm not saying fifteen thousand pounds is cheap uh, of course it's not but what i would say is the the level of experience and access and uniqueness of what you'll be having it's truly once in a lifetime and then it's down to personal decision making and what's value to them and what matters and that's that's what i think a lot of luxury is about like if you can prove the value or the quality it's each their own now we are coming towards the end of our mm. episode. So let's do some blue sky thinking. Mm -hmm. What is your most audacious idea at the moment? What would you love to create or achieve one day in the future? Uh, um, we have an innovation council at Black Tomato that meets every two months and that's, that's tasked with the, the remit of this council is about new product iteration, new service iteration. And it's such an inspiring group of people and, and, time together because ideas are brought in and, and what we do is we, we talk about ideas we look at them both inside but particularly outside of travel we're big believers in looking at things outside of travel and how they could inform and inspire travel and we just write notes we capture them we store them and some might be suddenly de like demand that we do them now others might be like let's wait for me at the moment so, so I, I have a lot of ideas i write them down and i'll share them or keep them at the moment i'm really interested in this thing about the role the world can play in like teaching and learning and it's sort of like this life or like world curriculum for adults and children. Like we, we did some stuff with field trip which is a children's education program last year which is which, which is great and children are taking these educational days of this but the thing i think is interesting and i and, and this is really kind of blue sky and i'm just i've only been thinking about recently is when we travel we, we we learn so much subconsciously and deliberately and some of it we forget quite quickly once you've come home. But when you're in the moment when you're traveling, you're like, oh, you know, I, I need to remember this or I need to kind of bring this into my life a bit. And it's a bit like some of the bring it back stuff we did years ago. But there's this more like kind of connected view. I'm trying to work out so how could we for clients or for anyone and yeah, 
facilitate opportunity to learn. I don't just mean educational stuff. I just might mean like if you're somewhere and you're inspired, how can we hang on to that, that moment, connect it back to the person's daily life so it's still inspiring them beyond just like I've written some notes or taken some pictures and then use that as a platform to inspire new trips. And so, so the world it sort of starts acting as this really, as a proper inspirator. That's not just changing you when you travel, but it's sort of informing, inspiring you when you're at home. And I just like to, I just think there's some stuff around that where you can connect the dots more. So it's, so it's a continually living and inspiring offering that. And I think there's a really interesting junction on, on tech plus in-person experiences there to kind of inform you. So there's this sort of like this idea of the world, a curriculum on the world. I mean, that, that's one thing I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, but I haven't really kind of done much more on that, but I just, it's like, as an example, and I'm literally thinking about that. I did this, um, I've just done this wine qualification, right? I uh, like the W set two. And part of that came from, cause I'd go on trips and I'd be stood in vineyards and I'd be like, you know, fascinated by what this, the vintners saying, and I'd be learning all this stuff. And five days later, I just wouldn't remember any of it. And it kind of annoyed me. Um, because I was in that moment, I'm loving it. And I, I'm, and, and partly maybe that's because of how my head works. But I also think, you know, we're in this society where our attention span is decreasing. There's so many ephemeral moments. We're overloaded with everything. So it's quite easy to forget these things that really mean something to you. So that inspired me to go off and do this wine qualification, which I loved. It was proper learning. And I think this kind of life world curriculum idea is about, I think adults and children alike, like, you like learning, but learning in the right way. And when, when you're learning, I've, I've read some science of this, like, the benefits learning something new that it does to your brain, to your to your calm, to your centeredness is really, really good. It's funny, I was thinking about like where's travel going, you know, the other day and what's it going to be like. And there'll, there'll, there'll be a lot of what we're doing today that's still relevant, the feelings, the, the needs. But I think there's going to be this thing like you, you want to kind of, there's things you're going to want to escape from and there's things you want to, you're going to want to escape to. And you could almost, and this is, again, this is just random thinking, but thoughts, but yes, you want to escape from the noise. So you look at something, but then when you want to, you want to escape to these moments of purity. So there's, there's, there's both a push and a pull going on here, but both acting as quite powerful catalysts to what you do and where you go and, and what you get to experience. And I think just even that as a, as a thought process would be an interesting one to develop for a while. Um, so yeah. Yeah, when you're thinking about the future of travel um, and what luxury travel will mean in the future, it's really interesting to think how it may well just come down to really simple fundamental things like where can you breathe clean air? Where can you see unpolluted night skies? Where can you spend time in wilderness where there aren't other people? I, I honestly think it, it will. And and it's funny because if you went, well, where are we going to be in like 20 years time? You sometimes go, well, actually, that's, will we go like so extreme? And by the time we get to 20 years time, we pull back and we're doing that. Yeah, that's what you don't know where the pendulum will go. But it does feel at the moment like things are just dialing up and up and up and up in the day to day. And actually this, this, this yearning or hankering for like paired backness, like quiet or lack of pollution. And, and, and it doesn't mean everything's done in kind of solemn silence but just to go and do things that like you know an experience like a trek somewhere where it's just you know you're breathing fresh air the only sounds you're hearing are you know the wildlife you know and you know there's no white noise i think i'm going to start looking more for more and more of that um and and i think the opportunities already i, I went to 
South Patagonia National Park in Chile back in November, and which is the lesser well-known bit, and it's just sort of emerging. There's explore of open lodge there, and it's stunning. And there's just no one there. And we went on this trek, and it was, I mean, we didn't see anyone for like 20 miles. And you're walking along kind of ridge lines, looking down into, into lakes and valleys and seeing mountains. And, and it was like we'd been dropped on another planet. Like there was no one. And that you'd see incredible wildlife. And the only sound you'd hear would be birds, like woodpeckers, um, the, the noise of like wind on the water. And, and it, that was just absolutely profound for me as, as, a, as an experience. And, and, it, and it just really, I just felt so recharged coming back. And I think there'll be a lot of that. And I think there's more of that coming. And again, you know, you're, you're, in, a part, you're in a place where there was next to no signal. So even if you wanted to, you couldn't connect with that world. So there were things that were happening that were forcing you to be truly present and living in that moment, which just made it even more special. Where do you see Black Tomato in 20 years' time? Um, I see it, personally, I see it bigger, but not, not in a kind of aggressive expansion i just like more people knowing us and using us um i you know we're, we're, we're we have sizable customer base in the united states and the uk and europe so i think i just think i think it'll be it would appeal to others but i think it's less about kind of for me like where's it going to be i think it's like what's it going to be and i think for me it's about creating a culture or building on the culture you've got now of great people with ideas and and a passion for being relevant and creating remarkable experience for people. I think that that as a tourism should, should remain. And it's, it's how we do that. And I, for me and you know, my partners, we're much older then. I, I, I would like it to be a company that is, has a life in and of itself. I, I'd like our, our, our influence to be felt, but we're already seeing yeah, great people pushing forward with ideas. And I think Black Tomato, for me, I just still wanted to kind of challenge, you know, how we, how we think about travel. And, and, and travel's so broad, there's lots of things you can challenge in it. So I'm talking more about, you know, this the sector we're in, but asking questions of it. You know, th this thing about remaining curious. I know every, lots of people say that, but for us, it really matters to be, to be curious about not just the places you can go, um, what you can do, but how you can go there or what you should be doing and asking questions of our customers, what matters to them and, and embracing changes that are happening, not just in the travel industry, but outside of it. So... I, I see Black Tomato being, you know, I, I want it, see it, hope it will remain. That I, I believe, and I say this modestly because it's certainly my view. Like at the forefront of of what we're doing in luxury experiential travel, and and continuing to challenge ourselves, and and hopefully, you know, the industry is to kind of how we should how we should be thinking about people's experience of this planet, and and how we inspire and and give them remarkable experiences. And the way we're going to do that is with with great people. So for me, it's just making sure we continue to have that and, and grow company with great people. Thank you so much for joining us on Blue Sky Thinking. I feel like that was one of the most interesting conversations I've had in a long time. Before you go, I would like to share three key takeaways with our listeners. Number one, it is definitely possible to build a business around your passion with your friends. So never discount your dreams as being viable. Two, when building your brand, foster good relationships with journalists and create great PR strategies around your product and business so as to win media coverage. And three, when planning travel, 
don't necessarily start with the destination. Start with what you need from the experience. I really appreciate you sharing all of those fascinating insights with us, Tom. I can't wait to see what comes next from Black Tomato. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Jenny. Um, a real, a real honour to be to be on the podcast with you. I really enjoyed that chat. Thank you for listening to Blue Sky Thinking with Jenny Southern. Before you go, I want to give you a special discount code for our Premium Vault newsletter, which explores emerging travel trends on a weekly basis. Some of the trends we have explored in recent months include survival scenarios, new age wellness and wilderness over-tourism. And what's great is that as an annual subscriber, you get access to all this content in our trend library. So if you would like 50% off an annual Vault subscription, use discount code BLUESKYTHINKINGALPHA as one word during checkout. Just visit globetrender.com vault to get signed up. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to Blue Sky Thinking so it's stored in your podcast library, making future episodes easily discoverable. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds and embrace the power of blue sky thinking.